Hi everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Fish, where we are joined by the wonderful Sophie Duker. Now, if you don't know who Sophie Duker is, where have you been? Certainly not watching season 13 of Taskmaster, that's for sure, which is the season that she won. Uh, she is also one mastermind. She's a regular on our television on all of the panel shows, and she was absolutely brilliant on our show. If you want to learn anything more about Sophie, the best place to go is to sophieduker.com. That's S-O-P-H-I-E-D-U-K-E-R dot com uh, and actually she also has a comedy night known as wacky racists uh, which is coming to the hackney empire on the 26th of october uh, that will be hosted by sophie and will include nish kumar and all sorts of other guests who are yet to be announced uh, that will be a brilliant night you should definitely get your tickets for that but like i said any information on sophie the best place to go is to sophieduka.com very much hope you enjoy this week's show I won't bore you with adverts for upcoming live shows or for Clubfish. You know where to go if you want to get involved with those. For now, let's just say, on with the podcast! Hello and welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast coming to you from the QI offices in Hoburn. My name is Dan Schreiber, I'm sitting here with James Harkin, Andrew Hunter-Murray and Sophie Juker and once again we have gathered around the microphones with our four favourite facts from the last seven days and in no particular order, here we go. Starting with fact number one, that is Sophie. Oh my god, my <laughs> fact is... <laughs> During their mating season, male camels' stomachs actually shrink so that they can concentrate on chasing females. That's mm. incredible. Brilliant. Yeah. So they need to stop less for food, They or is it, what? what is it? I think it's so that they look fit. But yeah. Also, oh, yeah. really? <laughs> is it like breathing in and, you know, sticking your or chest out? Sucking in your stomach. Yeah. 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 They, yeah. they have got three stomachs, haven't they? So it will have a good effect if they suck in all three stomachs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Crafty. Sadly, I don't <laughs> think they suck in their stomachs. I think they suck in their stomachs to be kind of more agile. Uh, and literally chase women. Um, oh, wow, yeah. really? <laughs> I totally bought the first reason. Yeah. Okay, thanks for clarifying. I think so they can cool. be faster because there is quite a um, disgusting display that camels do when they are... Uh, male camels do, sorry. Female camels are angels. Goddesses. <laughs> <laughs> and males are disgusting rat-like. Yeah, yeah, toxic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so talking about the toxic male camel. Uh, toxic male camel yeah. have this thing that they do when uh, also during their mating season where they blow up their soft palate. So I, I don't know exactly how they do it. I'm not a camel, but I'm very culturally aware. <laughs> and some people think that they've like thrown up their stomachs or like mm. part of their mouths, but it's actually like they blow up their soft palate so that this huge bulbous pink glistening thing hangs out of their mouths and it looks almost exactly like a pair of testicles. It really does. Oh, it's wow. so disgusting. Yeah. I saw a picture just this I morning. I never thought of it that way, but yeah. It's yeah so can you say that again? Testicles are disgusting? Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah. Oh, I'm not happy with them. <laughs> there was a study recently about how attractive testicles are and they showed a load of images of, of scrotums to women and asked them to rate how attractive they were. And in the abstract at the start of it, it said we were unable to say that any scrotums were attractive we were only allowed to say which was the least unattractive. Oh, no. Mm. Were they all human? I, they were all human. <laughs> Sorry, yes. I should say they were all human testicles. Some people, aren't some people getting theirs smoothened? If you get some Botox in, in there... You can have a smooth oh, ball yes, sack, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you can do that. I don't think any uh, Botox grow tie yeah. were part of this study. Right. Okay. And also then it's so much harder for them to be expressive, which yeah. is a real shame. <laughs> you know? So... No, that, that bag that they have, the, the one that you're talking about, so mm -hmm. the sort of, it's, is it called the Duller? Yes. Duller? Yeah, I didn't know how to pronounce it, so I, I'm I glad you yeah. took the fool for that. But they, <laughs> the camel, because the camel can close its nose mm. to avoid, I think, sand in a desert storm and things like yeah, that. Yeah. And I think it closes its nose and then just breathes out it into is. the bag. You know when you're kind of trying to make your nose pop? It's yeah, a bit it's like that. Yeah, it's when you're trying to equalise on the yeah, plane. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Thank God we don't do that when we try and pop our ears. A giant ball sack comes out of our mouth. No, but you're actually not meant to. I didn't know this. You're not meant to do that out of the water. That's meant to be like a dive. Someone told me. Oh, oh, right. So maybe oh, really? if you did it hard enough, you would. Yeah, yeah. Your doula would 
flop out. Wow. But to make it, so that 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 sack that comes out that is seen as quite a sexy thing towards the oh, female yeah. camels. It's and they and they drool foam at the same time. It's like oh, quite lovely. It's, I know it's wrong because it's sort of saying I find it disgusting, but obviously it's an animal thing, and you know. But in this case, it's just disgusting. I think when it's you see fine, a photo. even these days, to say that something that an animal does is not attractive to you. I think that is allowed. <laughs> <laughs> but I've noticed I find everything else animals do really sexy. Um, so. <laughs> They urinate on their own tails, don't they? Hot. See? Yeah. yeah. Is that for scent? Uh, yeah, to, to lay down the scent, lay down the pheromones. And then they flick it up like a little... Flick it up, yeah. I don't know if that's just because they're dicks. <laughs> but like, they sort of flick it up a little shower of it. There's something else they do during mating season. Oh, yeah. Which is... This is... Um... Pump! Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> but they no, do. They, they must do. do. They must do. Otherwise, how? <laughs> so the, this is a study done in Saudi Arabia, or maybe the UAE. But this is deceitful behaviour by male camels during mating season. So they wait for the cover of darkness and the males will lie down and they'll pretend to go to sleep. But they're not asleep. They're just waiting for a female to um, be lulled into a false sense of security. Mm. And then the males pounce on them. Mm. Yeah, it's not great. No. So I know anthropomorphism is also not the point. But um, but then the females respond by biting the male's knee joints if they're not interested, which can give them arthritis in the long run. Oh, okay, so wow. if you ever see an old camel with arthritis, it means in his younger days he was a sex pest. Yeah, that's exactly Possibly. what it means. Yeah, I saw I saw a sex video <laughs> the other day of camels having mating. Um, you saw what? Mating? Sorry, I saw a video. Uh, oh, like, yeah. yeah, like just was watched... it part of this research or just? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it yeah. was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I would have got to it anyway eventually. <laughs> but... So this footage was because two camels, I think it was in Dubai or Abu Dhabi, just were doing it in the middle of the road. So traffic was held oh, up. Yeah. So everyone was filming oh. it, and and it was effectively the female camel was on the ground, and it was they sit down, don't they? Yeah, and it was like doggy yeah. style. Um, yeah, and it was it was interesting because in my head I hadn't pictured how camels would have sex, and well, like almost all mammals it's doggy style but yeah. the difference is that the females sit down yeah which they just curious. take a seat and then the male goes behind it. <laughs> yeah. um, um, do you know why camels have humps sort of yeah well, I'd well say, to, store, I mean, to, to store, store, store energy store and fat, yeah. fat reserves yeah. why yeah. do they need to why do they need to start like do you mean like why there or well, no, why? why do they need oh, to oh, start they, they, they go a long time without food yeah. and... well in actual fact it's not because they evolved in the desert it's because they evolved in the arctic So camels evolved in really cold conditions and they evolved the humps and then eventually they migrated down into hotter areas and it turned out that they were brilliant for that condition as well and that's where they ended up. Beautiful. They're from from the USA, aren't they? Or uh, like the Americas as well. The Americas, yeah, Yeah. originally, yeah. And they they used to be um, mega camels, like four meters high at the shoulder. There used to be gigantic camels roaming the oh, earth. Yeah. yeah. How long ago? Like at the time when everything was massive. Before there were humans in the Americas, I think, right? Yes, I think so. Yeah. Certainly tens, maybe hundreds of thousands of years. Yeah. I got another old camel fat. I feel like they're very <laughs> versatile because the earliest known camel, apparently, uh, called Proti- Protilopus, lived in North America 40 to 50 million years ago oh. and was the size of a rabbit. Oh, oh wow. The size of a little rabbit. That's okay. amazing. But what were the rabbits the size of at the time? The they were the were, size of rhinos. They were massive. So they're really small and then went really big and wow. then went really small. Yeah. Again. Well, they sort of found a middle ground. Didn't yeah, they, they did. Found yeah. a range. That's very cool. Do you want to hear a couple of camel proverbs? Sure. Oh, okay. These yeah. are good. These are from the Middle East. Here's one He who steals an egg will steal a camel. Is that what they have at the start of their DVDs? <laughs> you wouldn't steal an egg. <laughs> uh, okay. What does that mean? I suck with proverbs. What does that mean? It means if you, if I was dishonest enough to do something small against you, then don't trust me because I'll do something even worse against you. God, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Uh, here's another one that's slightly harder to get. Yeah. The door is big enough for a camel to pass through. Well, that's in the Bible. So you. No, yeah, that's, that's about the, the rich man getting into heaven right. and the easier than a camel a, to get through the eye of a needle. Than for a rich man to get into yeah, yeah. Right. No, this is just the door is big enough for a camel to pass through. It's big door, big old door. That's right. Big door. Yeah. Well, which which size camel are we talking about? Is this uh, yeah. like a rabbit flap? Yeah, it's or a rabbit it's yeah, yeah. Small, small. It's a nice saying actually. It's um, oh, oh, everyone's welcome. 
It's actually oh. the opposite of that. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's feel free to leave. You know, you're not oh. interested. The door is, is big, big enough for a camel to pass through. There's nothing keeping you here. Ah, that's not that a good phrase. That is good, that phrase. Is good. Did you see camels recently, Sophie? I did see camels recently because I went to the desert. Yeah. And it turns out they're all, they're all over the shop. Mm. Um, I was uh, I was chilling, though not literally, because it was so hot and dry, mm. with the Bedouin. Um, oh. Cool. Yeah, and um, Bedouin uh, people and other pastoralist people uh, are very like their camels are. They're a big deal. They're like they love their yeah. camels. There's actually um, a I want to say like a folkloric tradition of song called the Al Huda, where as part of a journey you sing to entertain primarily the camel. So it's just that there's a lot of a lot of uh, Fergie's back catalogue talking about. But yeah, I really like that. And Al Huda has been uh, adopted onto the UNESCO Intangible Heritage List. Oh, cool. that's cool. That's really that's cool. Lovely. Did you sing it to the camels? I didn't sing. I didn't sing to the camels. I sort of was like, I sort of looked at them respectfully, but did not ride. Did you? Oh, you didn't ride. I didn't ride a camel. Oh. It's fun. I've ridden a camel. Oh, I have. I was... But are you supposed to these days? Yeah. Are you? It's absolutely Is fine. it cool to ride camels? I cause... think it's... Comp- uh, okay, well, I mean, Sophie's been near a camel more recently than me, so there might be more recent data. When I was doing it, it was absolutely... <laughs> Wait, where did you do it? Dubai. Nice. When I was, I was tiny. And, um, and the weird thing is, because they, they, they kneel down, they fold their legs so efficiently under themselves, that, and then you get on, and then they stand up. Yeah, yeah. But that means they have this mad, they tilt back crazily as one set of legs gets up, and then they tilt mm. back the other way as the other set of legs gets up, and then eventually you're, you're flat. But it's uh, yeah. also they are so important for so much more than being ridden. Yeah. Um, so, for so much more than a great ride. Um, I think <laughs> like camel milk in Jordan, uh, the mansaf, like a, it's like a dish with camel milk is one of the, mm. um, what well, was the national dish of Jordan. And it's meant to have like so many different healing properties. Like did you try it? To, uh, I did try mansaf. Oh yeah. It was, it was good. It yeah. was like a bit tart. You're saying, that, right, you didn't like it at all. I, I loved <laughs> it. I loved it. <laughs> I wouldn't want undiluted camel milk, but that's because yeah. I'm a baby raised on raised on cow, but now very much transitioned to oat and almond. Um, here's the thing camels can do. This is great. They can move the two halves of their top lip, left and right, independently of each other. The, oh, really? okay. How cool is that? Oh, that's fun. Because you can picture a camel's face. It has that kind of, you know, gap in the middle yeah. at yeah. the top of their lip. And they can move them um, So, like, how people do that really fun eyebrow thing where they raise one eyebrow. They've got yeah, the yeah. lip equivalent. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah, so yeah, cool. Yeah. There must be a look in the camel world that they give when they're like... You can signal that you're not really into it if you're kissing someone, but only using half your mouth. That's <laughs> how you can, you know. Yeah. I feel like, <laughs> their, like their inherent eroticism and also... Um, like I think a lot of stuff about the physicality of camels is probably why they've not yet been given the Pixar treatment. They're, too, they're like, too earthy. They're too bawdy. Yeah, too, they're yeah, too yeah, yeah. like they're just really of, they're, of the they're sand. Sex, they're sex pests. They're sex uh, pests. Yeah. <laughs> but like even their um, one of the facts is that they their urine has mm. been used in like certain like traditions. People yeah, drink yeah. their urine, use them as medicines. There's not a whole lot of scientific evidence I found that proves that that it's a good idea. No. It's like super concentrated. God, Sophie, how did your meeting with Pixar go? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. No, you I... don't understand. He drinks the urine and then. <laughs> it's super concentrated. That's the way it works. And then he just sort of, yeah. Yeah, so there's like, there's a traditional thing of drinking cow urine in uh, mm. India, for instance, right? Uh, but they do think that because camels, they don't have as much water in their body, that it is more concentrated. And whatever good stuff is in cow urine, it's even better in camel urine. That's the idea. Idea, oh right! Do you think that's true? Do we? Does, does what the I said is true. <laughs> <laughs> Whether okay. it's good for you, I think feels, perhaps feels not. Feels strong. Feels but like yeah. strong stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think not. Is that why the milk is so tart? Because it's full. It's because it, they. It's not very tart. Okay. I don't want to. I don't want to offend the camels of Jordan. It was just a bit. It was different. Yeah. I actually think that goat milk is. It's probably as weird. No offense. Yeah. To, as goat milk. Because goat milk tastes a bit goaty, doesn't it? Really. Yeah. Does it? Can you get a bit of camel taste in it or not? I think I've not done a comparative no. study. It was sort of um, malty. Right. Okay. I mean, it's all milk malty. Is that the point of malt? No. It was no, maltier think... than milk. Yeah, like Ovaltine. Especially malty. I just, I just actually had my first Ovaltine. Um... Bullshit. You have Ovaltine every night, Andy. There's no doubt about no, that. No, let me finish. I just finished my first <laughs> jar of Ovaltine <laughs> in a while. 
Really? Yeah. The well, first jar of the year. Well, <laughs> I hadn't had it for years and years and years. Then my wife said, oh, "I've never had it," and I, and I said, "What you said to me, Jess?" I said, "Bullshit! Like you can't. I can't believe you've never had it." Oh, so really? I, I rushed out. <laughs> I what to, time of day was this? <laughs> went to your dealer. I went to the all night shop. It's two in the morning. Got the, I got a jar. Came back. Anyway. For the for the last three weeks, I've been trying to push Ovaltine on my wife, who actually doesn't like the taste of Ovaltine. Yeah. Anyway, I got a quick just camel's quiz. What this story is? Get stuff. I just wanted to sort of part one, part two, to break it up. It's so good. Um, get a quick camel quiz. Yes, brilliant. Three. three. Okay. So, why should you not, if you're in the desert, step into camel dung? Uh, well, I mean, for the for get some shoes. Yeah, yeah, that's that is also a correct yes. answer, even though that's not the one I have on my sheet. <laughs> uh, smells bad, bad vibes. Yeah. Bad oh, vibes. you might injure some of the smaller life forms which rely on uh, it as a as a biome. You know, ooh, dung beetles great, and stag beetles. Answer. They use it. They I was thinking it, they... perhaps similarly, but yeah. maybe it's like some poisonous animals live in it. Yeah, who might bite your feet. Uh, Lovely. Mm. I thought that it's so toxic that it would melt your foot off. At <laughs> that's, yeah. good. Yeah. But, that's good. Yeah, yeah. It would just it would just. Uh, yeah. 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 Yeah, these. I mean, these are probably all correct. Oh. Maybe Sophie's one a bit lesser, but maybe the rest of them. Um, this, this is. I mean, it's a stretch. My answer. I'm, I'm just making a fun quiz here, but um, you don't want to do it because you might explode entirely. Right. And that is because during the Second World War, the German tanks, if they saw a camel dung, would roll over it. Uh, it was seen as a sort of good luck yeah, charm. Yeah, the yeah. Allies heard about this, and so what they started doing was making camel dung landmines. So they looked mm. the facade of it on top, and so That's that would clever. blow up. Yeah. So, like we know that bombs still exist, you know, in the basements. Of, you know, we're always finding unexploded World War II bombs. There's probably camel dung landmines yeah. still out there in the desert, That's waiting. Worrying. There you go. Gosh. My next have the urge to jump into a pile of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, it is time for fact number two, and that is my fact. My fact this week is that the first woman to ever direct a film was a guy. <laughs> I was recently sitting on a plane and we were about to do fact picking and I desperately needed like one killer fact and I was like well, how am I going to find it plane's about to take off and on the screen in front of me was the in-flight entertainment and there was a documentary called Alice Guy the first female filmmaker Brilliant. and I thought wow that's that's really exciting a I have no idea who this person is and B, it turns out that she's extraordinary. It turns out that this is one of the most seminal filmmakers of our time. The innovation that she created is something that means she should be held up there with like the, the Lumiere brothers, up there with the Spielbergs, the Scorseses. The, this, this is someone whose name should be a household name and no one virtually knows who she is. Well, first of all, was she French? She was French, yeah. So would she pronounce it Guy? Yeah, I, I yeah. think Alice Guy would Alice probably Guy. be her name. and. And she had a, uh, a second surname, which was her husband's surname that she took on. So it was Alice Guy Blush. Blanchet? Blanchet, I think. Yeah. Blanchet. So hang on, the, what's the fact again in the light of these uh, slight limits? <laughs> but um, she, uh, she not only was the first female director, but she was the first female director for about a decade. Like She just really owned yeah, the field. It was a period yeah. where, obviously, men were just saying, you're not capable of doing this. Um, she's also acknowledged as possibly being one of the first two people to pioneer the idea of narrative filmmaking as well up until this point everything was just sort of showing a train pulling in the station or mm. people walking out of a factory where mm. she gave it a story and she turned it into a narrative um so yeah hugely yeah, important very cool yeah. she um she lived until she was 94 which was 1968 that she died Gosh. and i think by that time only a, about three of her films were still available huh. and she made a thousand or was involved in a thousand, you know, directing, producing, supervising. Uh, and I think a lot more have been made available since she died, yeah, or they've been rediscovered. We keep yeah, finding yeah, them, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah um, it's amazing. She was, a, um, when the Lumiers made the first ever film, this was in 1895, she was in the room when that happened. As in, there was a private showing, and her boss, who's a guy called Gaumont, was invited because they thought that Gaumont might want to buy the equipment and kind of sell it on to people. Um, and he was quite interested because he thought people would buy it so they could make videos of their children. That's what he thought this new technology would be of, of yeah. motion pictures. 
Um, he was and, right. So he did buy some of these um, cameras and then he allowed uh, Alice Guy to use them because he thought it was just like a toy. It was just like a, mm. you know, he didn't really take it that seriously. So he just let her do it. And then suddenly she became the biggest, you know, the biggest deal in filmmaking. Yeah. And her first movie, there's a few variations on the title, but one of the English translations is The Cabbage Fairy. And it's basically a narrative about how babies are born through cabbage patches and we had an episode with really? Beck Hillard where we were trying to work out when did anyone think That's you were born really from a cabbage oh. patch we were talking about the cabbage oh patch kids oh my god this yeah. goes all the way back and the cabbage patch kids is yeah and she's partly responsible for the cabbage patch thing. that's amazing yeah. you look like you had cabbage oh, patch kids I do, so. I do, I, no no they're, they're scary and <laughs> I don't like them but I uh, do love talking about France and the, the folklore is that boys are born from cabbages oh. but girls are born from roses Right. And I don't right. want to be so. Still to this day, <laughs> that's, that's Still the to thing. this day, that's how oh. French people are born. Um, there are claims that she invented the music video, mm. which I like. I, I think a pretty early prototypical form of it, because she used a thing called chronophone in 1905, which is where you filmed the singers lip syncing and then you'd play a pre recorded track simultaneously. Oh with it yeah but also i mean this the list kind of goes on and on for what she innovated in the world of film so we've got the first narrative movies we've got the first movies where gender roles were swapped and they showed men at home sewing and doing the housework and the women actually going off and being actually at you know big business jobs and so on which was wasn't that in the year 2000 that was the i think the name of that film that's brilliant she did the first all african-american film no one had done that to that point that was 1912 a fool and his money um apparently it was a bit sort of behind though in terms of uh, the racial politics of the time but it was the first time african-americans were cast into films entirely in a film so she did so many things that were just unbelievably forward-thinking yeah and this is right she at made, the beginning of filmmaking. She made the first uh, fast and furious film <laughs> yeah that's right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Um, with a young vin diesel uh <laughs> yeah. it's pronounced oh. van <laughs> <laughs> on the off the fool and his money yeah. it was one another one of her works that was considered lost for ages and then it was found in a flea market in stockton california Wow. So she's just left like little Easter Gosh. eggs. I mean, maybe not deliberately. Right. But she's yeah, got yeah. her finger into loads of cinematic pies. I do like the sound of uh, her masterpiece, The Life of Christ. Yeah. Sounds good. There's a huge, <laughs> like, huge film, 35 minutes long, which at the time Ooh. was an epic Lord of the Rings style. <laughs> yeah. So 35 minutes long. Do you long, think right, people but... after 20 minutes were going, oh, for fuck's sake? Oh, yeah. God. Bladders <laughs> yeah. were exploding everywhere. <laughs> Um, but that's the thing for a film that was 35 minutes long in total and, and again 1906 so incredibly early film days it had 25 different sets for a 35 minute film okay and 300 extras yeah. but 300 extras is you know if you're filming a scene where there's a big crowd sure that's but at, your the time, at the time it was it was it was impressive stuff I guess yeah was no, it? definitely right. yeah. they had the first ever pan shot didn't it <gasps> really it. so she kind of panned across these 300 people people must have freaked out I know. What's happening? <laughs> well, you know that thing about the train? That, so I, I think we've mentioned this once before on this show, which is that one of the earliest films was, was it the Lumieres? Or was it? Yeah, it was yeah, a it was. train arriving at some gar. It was a French like coastal that. town called La Ciotat. Uh, and it was one shot, 50 seconds, and the urban legend is that people freaked out and ran to the back of the room because they were so perturbed at the train coming towards them. Uh, and there, there aren't actually contemporary sources. And also the train is coming in diagonally, so it doesn't look like it's going to burst into the yeah, room. Yeah. Or, you yeah. know. But I think I buy it, actually. Yeah. I, and I'm saying I buy it despite there being no evidence contemporarily <laughs> that it actually happened. But people react to films. People yeah. shout, at, you know, or people shout in a big way at the cinema. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a there's a Sorry. big um, there's a big trend going on at the moment on it's either Instagram or TikTok. I've seen the video where you expect something to happen and the person filming it tricks you by throwing the object at the camera. Right. And and it, I I I properly went whoa. So so you can produce that effect. Right. Mm. So I I buy it as well. Yeah. Yeah. I buy it three. Okay. No, I don't buy it. At all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a bullshit. I think it's classic of 
isn't it funny how these people in the past were more stupid than us yeah. that they would fall for this kind of thing? Yeah. Well, I also have no evidence. <laughs> <laughs> but I think you are probably right. Um, I was reading about Florence Lawrence. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> What's so funny about Florence nothing, Lawrence? Nothing at all. First ever movie star, maybe. Really? Ah. Um, yeah. So she was making very early films, but um, she insisted that her name be on the credits <laughs> okay. uh, because in those days it would yeah. just be actors and you wouldn't say right. who was in it and she became quite well known and so she could insist that her name would be on there uh, and she was she was originally vaudeville she was known as baby Flo, the child wonder whistler <laughs> so she would go on stage with her mum and she would be an amazing at whistling really yeah uh, and she also was one of the first people to own a car and she invented the indicator on a car and the stop braking lights on a car. Oh, oh the lights, okay. <laughs> she invented brakes. Everyone before then. Had they were only... all still driving around. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. like, what are we going to do? It was like speed. It was like very, very slow. And they're all going at 10 miles an hour, yeah. so it's fine. Yeah, Hers yeah. was slightly cool. different. So her indicator, it was like the shape of an arm, and she would press a button, and the arm would sort of wave to the side that she was going to go. More oh, fun. Oh, yeah. Much yeah. more fun. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the stop sign would be like a arm coming out going I'm going to stop I'm going to stop what at the back wow. of the car yeah, to yeah. The that's so cool it's clever isn't it um, but yeah she was like the first film star as well what that's a pivot amazing. in her career that's so yeah, cool yeah. Um, I, I re- the thing about her um, back to a guy is um, <laughs> is that I, I love that she was so active in trying to scout for the locations that she would put herself into weird situations so she was almost like an immersive documentary maker at the same time she'd go to orphanages and she would integrate herself there and she would go to <laughs> no wait, no <laughs> hang on so she would live, Come on, she would live on. as a child <laughs> Can you imagine Daniel Day-Lewis <laughs> Pretend I'm not here, guys. Daniel Day Lewis in his little red wig. <laughs> yeah, no, sorry, that's the wrong term. But like, she would go to opium parlors. She would go to. Okay. Um, okay. She would go to prisons. She would. She was invited to watch. Actually, yeah, it does sound just like a wild night. Actually, um, crazy night last night. Woke up in an orphanage. <laughs> But yeah, wow, that does sound cool. Yeah. yeah, and I quite like that she used to have a sign on her. So kind of like in Ted Lasso, where Believe was up on the wall. Oh, yeah. She used to have a sign up on all of her sets, which was "Be Natural," and okay. the idea for actors and so on. I mean, another innovation of sort of like, you know, mm. let's just make this look like a normal thing. Um, mm. Oh, just so cool. Yeah. I think she's cool. I got a fact about um, people that she possibly might have inspired because, like, we talked about Fulness Money. Maybe yeah. not the. Mm. Not a film that would translate today, but had the first uh, all African-American cast. Yeah, yeah. So that was in 1912. And in 1919, uh, Oscar Michaud, who's like considered to be the first African-American filmmaker, he made his first film. Mm. So like that's a whole like seven yeah, yeah. years beforehand. Yeah. Also, I think one of the first female African-American uh, directors, Maria P. Williams, uh, worked on The Flames of Wrath. But she, okay, so this is how she died. I'm, I'm bringing it up because it's very mysterious. Okay, so she uh, produced and wrote in this film in the same year uh, her husband died and she went on to marry another man. And then she died in 1932. This is Maria P. Williams. After being called away from her home by a stranger who requested help for his ill brother and then was found shot to death on the side of a road several miles from her home. Oh my God. And the murder remains unsolved. Ironically, the plot for Flames of Wrath concerns the investigation of a murder after a robbery. Mm. Wow. That is interesting. How do you solve a problem like Maria P. Williams? (laughs) (laughs) Just one one weird thing off the back of Maria P. Williams. Oh, yeah. So the guy who invented the film camera, Mm -hmm. Louis Le Prince, French guy, moved to Leeds and created the film camera five years before anyone else did so he was pre-Lumiere Brothers he was pre-everybody basically he made a working film camera he made some films in Round Hay Leeds and then he disappeared really and we have no idea what happened to him either he may have been bumped off there is a kind of lurid theory that Edison had him knocked off which I I don't think I believe but he was he was first first by years as well Louis Le Prince yeah in Leeds in Le- yeah, yeah he's got yeah. such a, a sexy name and then it's like <laughs> not oh, that Leeds, Leeds makes it less Leeds sexy but sexy. it sort of changes the vibe Leeds is a very sexy um, place isn't it is it I went on a, a, a wa- mini walking tour of Leeds after our last yeah, show woke there woke up in an orphanage <laughs> <laughs> 
Is he the one who, there was one who kind of got on a train and then they never saw them again. Is it that one? I think it Another is him. I don't know. I think it's this guy. Is it? Yeah, I, yeah. So. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I didn't uh, write down how, how he went missing, but yeah. yeah. When you're on a film set, they call it a shoot. Coincidence? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought a long time before saying that, and I think it's good, it's good that I did. No need for doubt, though. Can I yeah. give you a quick quiz before we move on? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, Raquel Welsh, yes. the actor, has a world record. She's done something 15 times that no one else Ooh. has done 15 Raquel times. Raquel Welsh, who just died? Yeah. yeah. Raquel Welsh of the fur bikini from One Million Years BC? Yeah. The very same. Ooh. She's done something 15 times? Yeah. Mm. Is it a film Is it a film related it's a record? Film, it's a female film actor related thing. She was the first female film actor to... <laughs> Yeah, bring it home. Used bring, to yeah. answer questions on her fur bikini oh. fifteen times. Oh. I don't know. Uh, the, the start of that sentence, you were on such a good yeah, run there, I Sophie, don't... and then it went wrong at the end. I'm not familiar with Raquel Welsh. Sorry. No. Fifteen times. Oh, did you play the same person fifteen? No, she didn't. She did the same action fifteen times in different movies. Uh, a gesture, a V sign. Uh, did she do like the clappable thing with it? Like, oh, the that's sound good. Yeah. Like stop it. Like the MGM roar. Did she do a sort of? That was her. No, yeah. that was a lion. A gesture. A, a gesture tiger. Actually, a tiger. Dance. Sorry. The, uh, chicken, the chicken dance. The, the, sh- the, the, her fist. No. She uh, she did the YMC. No. That's good. <laughs> I feel like we're going to be here a long time. A did she change the spelling of her name fifteen times? <laughs> no. She holds the world record for kicking a male character in the balls. Oh. In a movie. Wow. With 15. Gosh. Wow. Isn't that great? That is an incredible <laughs> fact. Do we know who's the kicky? It, it was a different kicky each time. Oh, oh yeah. wow. So yeah, it's yeah. in a different movie. Different she movies. was almost like her catchphrase. Oh, that's her that signature she, movie. Yeah, yeah. God, that'd great. be terrible when you're sort of going, oh, <laughs> this one exciting role. Who's, who's my co lead? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, it is time for fact number three, and that is Andy. My fact is that half of American men are confident they could safely land a plane if the pilot was incapacitated. That's reassuring. It is, isn't it? As long as you, two American men are on your flight, <laughs> <laughs> one of them will be fine Brilliant. to do it. Yeah. Um, That's funny. This is a survey that YouGov conducted. They asked 20,000 adults, I think adults all in America, uh, whether they would be quite confident, very confident, not confident, not at all confident, or they didn't know whether they would be able to land a plane. And um, I think overall it was a third of uh, people who said they could do it, and 46% of men, uh, 20% wow. of women. So buck up, Uh, you know. uh, um, And also, they specified a couple of things. They specified you get help from air traffic control and things like that. So you're not just totally in the cockpit by yourself, because obviously that would be incredibly terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And young people also more confident than older people. People between eighteen and forty-four. Again, nearly half of them think, "Yeah, I could do that." Yeah. Those over forty-five, less less sure of themselves. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so let's do I a little like... survey around here. Sophie, do you think you could? Do, do I think I could land a plane? Land a plane. You've got a headset on. You're you got getting, a headset you know... on. Okay. But yeah, I'm getting into it. I've got a headset on. I've got my co-pilot's there. No, he... no, 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 no. Absolutely not. They, they, they're <laughs> all dead. He's also... Uh, no, in my scenario, they've just been knocked out. Uh, which they've is just a... had a, some dodgy fish, right? Exactly, yeah. They're awake. They're just a bit... They're feeling a bit queasy, so they decided to knock off shift. <laughs> okay. In my one, I look at the pilots, and one is Maria, the filmmaker, oh. and the other is the leads man, Le Prince. Mm. Le Prince. Yeah. yeah. I think I could land a plane. Okay. Okay. That's good to hear. Oh, good, good. That wasn't a test where you're like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Actually, the microphones leave, the walls of this room disappear. <laughs> We're, in a plane. Up. We're in a plane. <laughs> I think I could, but I would do it extremely reluctantly. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, that's, wanna... that's what the passengers want to hear over this time, isn't it? <laughs> I don't really want to, but we'll be landing in the next 15 minutes. Yeah, one way or another. <laughs> That's exciting. Okay, Andy. I think I probably couldn't, actually. Couldn't? Couldn't. I, I mean, I would, I would give it my best shot, but I think that moment where the, the ground comes up really quite fast, where you're landing, and you're going very, very fast, going over 100 miles an hour, I think it would be very hard. Yeah. I'm not saying they would clap for me. I'm just saying. <laughs> uh, Dan? I, I think technically I couldn't, but I mentally I would say yes to trying it. Because yeah, I think this yeah. is the thing, you need someone to someone give it a go. Someone's got to try and do it. And yeah, I think yeah. if I was put in that position, I would say, okay, yeah, I'll give it a go. I'm going to have assistance. Right. And okay. so, yeah, yeah. 
I can't, I don't think I can do it. Although my wife's a helicopter pilot, and I think mm. I've said on here before that she says that I'd have about 50 50 chance of landing a helicopter. Okay, right. Okay. Uh, having watched her do it, so right. I know what she's oh, doing. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah. having spoken to some commercial pilots, because we've talked about this on QI, I don't think I would be able to do it now. Yeah. It is hard. If, you, if, you're in the, if you're in this situation, we should say yeah. the most important thing to do is find the headset, yeah. put it on. And find the emergency frequency because they do monitor that. And also, if you're speaking to someone, take your finger off the button when yeah. you finish speaking, because otherwise, like, no one will hear they can't what you can say. You. Yeah. But that was the funniest thing about this whole um, this whole survey is that when they talk to pilots about it, you, I think in your head you think, "Yeah, I'll just open the door, put on the headset, it's all going to be fine." They're like, "You won't even get past the headset moment in trying to land this <laughs> oh, plane. You won't even get past the door in most, yeah, even, I mean, yeah, most planes. Exactly. You know, they've obviously got very secure in cockpits." When so. I asked my wife about this, because like I say, she is a pilot that. She she literally said exactly what they say on these things. She was like, well, right. like, will I be able to tell where the headset is? That's the first thing she said. It's weird because you would think it would just be there, right? Know, you, you would think it would just yeah. be there. You know what it's like yeah. when you can't find your earphones and you're, yeah. like, you're busy yeah, yeah. and you're heading out. Yeah, They actually have tried this as well. They've tried this uh, a study. New Zealand's University of Waikato asked 780 people if they could land a small plane, uh, quotes, without dying or as well as a pilot <laughs> okay. could. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. And... So this is really interesting. Some of them got shown a four-minute video of pilots landing a plane, right? But the video didn't show the pilot's hands. So actually, it was a useless video. Mm. In terms of actually learning how to land a plane, totally useless, right? But people who had seen the video were more confident in their abilities than people who hadn't seen the video. It's called a rapid illusion. You see someone doing something and you think, yeah, I... Yeah, okay, I broadly understand yeah, how that yeah. works. Yeah, yeah. And actually, you don't. But here's the, here's the other thing. It's like, okay, you've got through this impenetrable door. Well done. <laughs> Stage one done. You found the headphones. You've somehow worked out the emergency frequency of 121.5. Yep. You've, you've worked out to take your finger off the button so that you could hear <laughs> yep. them. Surely you're on your home stretch. You know, you're, you're coming in. But then they make the point, you're talking to an air traffic controller. He doesn't know how to land a plane. They're just, they're just telling you that the space is free. Yeah. Yeah, come on down you're fine so there's been cases where in the past no. people have had to have guidance to be yeah. landed by an air controller and they've had to go hang on let me go find someone who knows how to land a plane oh. and have to go and bring them and help them get guided down i really dislike that this is how a plane is is, is landed yeah. <laughs> I really would have thought by now it was basically completely automated. There was no skill. Yeah. yeah. Well, the thing is, they do have auto land. So an okay. airplane does have auto land, but you need to program stuff into it. So you need to program in how fast you're coming in, what direction you're coming in from, and you still have to click when you want your flaps to come down, whatever that means. Yeah. And also when you want your landing gear to come down, whatever that, no, I know what that means. <laughs> and they need to be done at exact moments and you need to know when that is. Yeah. So even yeah. though you have auto land, you still need to do stuff. Yeah, and it's and then on top of that, even if, you, if you're on a, let's say, a Boeing big airplane and we need a pilot to land this, you need to know what your plane is. It's like going into a different kind of car. You can't just like. You I think can't it's. Just... I think it's even more complicated than that. <laughs> I think it, as in, what I mean is, as you... in I can get into a higher car, and I'm fine. <laughs> I don't need to brag. Do but you like, I go into the higher car. And go. Do you have a Ford Fiesta? Because that's all I can drive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all I'm qualified on. Um, no, I guess the point is, is that you need to with a plane. Yeah. You it, you absolutely need to know how to land a Boeing plane versus yeah. a biplane versus. I, I think it's never happened with a big commercial. Pack passenger plane yeah i don't think a situation's ever come no. up because often i mean most, like loads of flights have pilots who are flying as passengers they call them deadhead crew and they just you know yeah, yeah. but it has happened once or twice uh in 2009 there was a pilot who was flying from florida to mississippi and the pilot died and the passenger doug white was on board with his family family of four and he had a private pilot certificate although he wasn't familiar with the plane mm. but he did manage it because the air traffic control people, they found a, a flight instructor who guided them down in that there plane. There you go. Had to run off and get a flight Pretty instructor. Pretty much, yeah. Right? yeah. But that was a, obviously that was a small yeah, yeah. plane of, you know. Happened last year, 2022. Yeah, um, around Florida. The pilot collapsed or something. We don't know what, exactly what happened. There was a guy in there with him. It was a very small plane. And he sat there yeah. on the controls, doesn't know what to do, rings traffic control. And they say, 
well, where are you? He's like, well, how the fuck should I know? Yeah. He's like, well, can you see the coast? And he's like, yeah, we can see the coast. And they said, okay, we'll fly either north or south, just follow the coast. <laughs> right. And then oh, the gosh. air traffic controllers could look on their screen and they look for a plane that was following the coast in any direction. And they managed to work out it was them and they wow. managed to get them down. You're looking so stressed, Sophie. It's really upsetting me. Are you, are you an anxious flyer normally? Before, uh, before we told you all this stuff. No, I thought I could land a plane. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I've been so confident. That's so funny. Oh oh, I was yeah. once in a helicopter with my wife, and we, when you're on the um, on the radio, you can hear what everyone else is doing. <laughs> And um, we were just flying along wherever we were going. And um, there was a guy who was like, bzz, bzz, help, help, get me out of here, get me out of here, get me oh out of God. here, telling the air traffic control. And apparently what happened was the red arrows were flying past him. <gasps> he was in a tiny little plane. And he's like, there's red arrows on my left, there's red arrows on my right. What do I do? What do I do? Wow. He's leading the red arrows at that moment. <laughs> just release the smoke like the others, just time it right. <laughs> Wave to the king. I, I, I don't, I'm not really sure of plane etiquette generally, yeah. uh, when I was going to America, I didn't realise that you're not allowed to drink beer, alcohol that you buy in duty free on the plane. Oh, okay, yeah. But that is oh. uh, No, that, they ask you not to. That yeah. is a fact. So yeah, I was like, I was like, oh, this is a great hat. I'll buy, we'll buy like a bottle of whiskey. Yeah. So I was sitting on a plane and uh, like just pouring like doubles and triples for me and my friend, Laurie. <laughs> and the uh, hostess walked past and was like, you're not allowed to do that you have to you're not allowed to drink that on the plane oh. so we both just thought that she'd meant this like bottoms Don't, up so we were like so sorry and I was just like trying to drink that she was like you can't have that on here so we're trying to get rid of it I had never been kicked off a flight though but in May 2013 somebody was kicked off a flight for doing the most amazing thing which was singing Whitney Houston song I Will Always Love You repeatedly mm. <laughs> first, like first rendition okay well that's yeah. a bit annoying but you know fine second third rendition's funny yeah quite yeah, funny yeah. Yeah, it was uh, and a then flight. decreasing return was it Stuart Lee who did it <laughs> <laughs> Stuart Lee uh, on a domestic service from Los Angeles to New York and it was diverted so it didn't actually land where it was meant to land. It can't have been diverted because of this. It was diverted to Kansas City so they could remove to the Houston. To Houston. <laughs> <laughs> this reminds me of a song. They landed at Motown in Detroit. Oh wow. Yeah. That's what, but why was the passenger who, who, was, who was the passenger? I assume she they... was mentally unwell. Right. I uh... haven't. But, well I mean I assume that she might just have been a legend. But <laughs> <laughs> it's a fine line. <laughs> when she was let off in handcuffs, she was still singing. So, wow. Yeah. Wow. can I tell you one more thing about overconfidence? Yeah, which is. is what this is about. So, I just looked up other surveys of what people think they can do. Yeah, right. Brilliant. So, there was a, th a survey about how what people, uh, what works of art people think they could replicate. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it went from so Mondrian is that that's yeah, quite. Just lines. It's just lines and mm. blocks of color. Malievich, so, I could do that. Black is just a black square. <laughs> Okay, yeah, perfect. So one in three Americans think they could replicate Mondrian's composition in red, blue, and yellow, which is quite, yeah. it's a bit more complicated, but it's its mostly sort of straight lines and blocks of colour. 23% um, think they could do Van Gogh's self-portrait with a straw hat, which <laughs> is one of the Wait great... Wait if you're doing a Van Gogh self-portrait and you're replicating <laughs> it, do you draw Van Gogh or draw yourself in a straw hat? Oh, sorry, the, uh, you draw Van Gogh, you're just replicating that work of art. Got it. You okay. don't have to cut off your own ear, it's, like, it's fine. Um, <laughs> 18% thought they could replicate Vermeer's The Milkmaid, which yeah. is one of the great works by a Dutch master. It's right. really, really, really beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And get this, 11% of Americans think they could probably or definitely replicate Michelangelo's David. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Probably or definitely. Probably. Yeah, probably. I'll, say, I'll say probably. I don't want to see rain. <laughs> do you have to do it exact or could you do it like... I think you need to get it pretty dead on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Half of British men between 16 and 24 think they could dodge a train. <laughs> oh, I reckon I could dodge a train. Dodge a train? Yeah, but I mean, like, what, what qualifies as dodging a train? Good point. If you're trespassing on the tracks. Well, yes. the thing is about trains is they can only go where the tracks are. So all you have to do is get off the tracks and yeah. you've dodged it. Well... You, you two, Dan and James, are part of the problem, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Of young men trespassing on railway tracks. I know that is a problem, yeah. Thinking you can um, get off in time. And actually, it's very confusing when you're on tracks because all the train noise goes out to the side. Yeah, yeah. This is a weird thing. It's harder to tell than you think when there's a train coming along. 
So Network Rail uh, a while ago asked rapper Wretch32. Oh, oh, we've met him. We met, met once yeah. on Sunday brunch. Sunday brunch. Yeah. yeah. It was a classic. It was a, a classic booking classic pairing. Brunch, yeah. I think it's Wretch32. Wretch32. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That was a fell power. Oh, when you yeah. Wretch32. I called it Mr. 32. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. It's called Wretch32. Wretch32. Yeah. 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 Why is it three two instead of thirty two? He's it, named after a football score. Because <laughs> it looks like 32, yeah, doesn't it? That's just his I actually name, don't know why it's 3 no. 2. Where's the 1? I don't know. <laughs> Where's the what? Where's the 1? 3 2. 3 2. It's a countdown. Wretch 3 2. Oh, right. Four I follows. see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 3 2 1. Here's a tray. These are, <laughs> <laughs> These are the mysteries, Andy. Why is it thicky and not thick? <laughs> yes, right, why is true. it weakened and not weakened? These yep. are the, yep. the problems of a podcast. What did Wretch 3 2 do? He, they asked him to test what it's like being on the tracks when oh, a train really? is coming in. And by putting him in the simulator yeah, yeah. By, yeah, yeah. Uh, and he said yes it is actually very quiet and confusing and it's easy to be and he said he had great hearing and but yeah. but actually it was confusing yeah what a great team up of of network rail wow. and wretch 3 2 yeah that yeah. is incredible but they were trying to get to young men basically yeah, who yeah. were more likely to be trespassing who knew how to pronounce his name Okay, it is time for our final fact of the show, and that is James. Okay, my fact this week is that the first person to use the phrase roast beef sandwich in English had a surname which is an anagram of the word steak. <laughs> so wow. good. It's a classic James fact, as in, I don't think anyone has ever come up with this fact before now. This is no. new, right? Yeah. I, I can't imagine anyone have the time to do that. But also, this is, you had a different fact, which we said, oh, we're not sure about. Yeah. So you came up with this. I love James always does this in desperation as well. It's this sort was of like... real desperation. So my original fact was that John Keats. Spoiler alert. The um, the famous, most romantic of the romantic poets claimed to be able to eat two dozen roast beef sandwiches in a single sitting, which he did say in one of his letters, but it's clear when Andy read it and pointed it out that actually he was saying metaphorically that he was so hungry I could eat two dozen sandwiches and perhaps he couldn't actually do it and we'd already researched roast beef sandwiches and Keats so I needed to find anything else about him and it turns out in the OED that he's the first reference of roast beef sandwich and his name is Nanogram of Steak and that's, that's where my brain went because he's not very st- a steaky kind of poet no he's no. that's what I really liked about the original incorrect fact is he's he was quite waif like wasn't he Keats yeah. and he was very sort of I don't want to say wishy-washy but you know Byron would say that for sure yeah. Um, but yeah. Big um, boy Byron. Big boy Byron. <laughs> <laughs> with, with his burgers. Yeah. <laughs> Competitive eating champ uh, Northumberland. Yeah. 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 It's kind of, yeah, Keats is. Has a, so Keats, uh, for anyone who's, who's not a fan of Keats, John Keats died aged, what, 25? Yeah. And died of, died of tuberculosis consumption, which was a very poetic yeah. seeming disease. You know, it was associated with creative types and, yeah. and, and wrote wrote everything he wrote obviously before the age of 25 basically all Keats poems are early Keats because there, yeah. there was no late Keats yeah um, and and still wrote a lot of really actually really good stuff I was thinking I was never a huge fan of Keats when I was um, studying because I did English but uh, actually I looked back and I thought yeah there are some real bangers here yeah yeah actually it's not early Keats because early Keats he burnt up didn't he his wow, earliest poems he, yeah he just oh, did he? yeah yeah he just thought I don't like these and so he just he burnt those over a fire so actually we don't have early Keats we've got sort of mm. mid Keats right yeah so I was weirdly drawn to Keats's diet as well Um, so I heard that he was voluntarily vegetarian oh was he to like sort of cure himself of his love sickness for Fanny his big love but also he got put on a lot of fad diets by his doctor who shall I say did not have his best interests (laughs) Um, and prescribed him a diet of bread milk and anchovies because he thought that his tuberculosis was in his stomach yeah so it was um, hard because when you read his writing he seemed to really love his food mm. and yet he just had to eat all of this really bland stuff it must have he must have hated it doctors at the time were just so bad as in his doctor misdiagnosed his tuberculosis as i think stress oh yeah annoying he said that uh mental exertions and application so basically, right. he's a little nerd that thinks too much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, like, and they bled him way too much. They took pints of his blood, which is which is, is not helpful. Of bleeding good? 
I guess it might have helped some conditions, but I can't think of any which would have been helped. But, I mean, Lord Byron also was bled hugely, mm-hmm. as in they took, took pints and yeah, pints of yeah. Byron's blood and they made him very weak and they contributed to his death. Yeah. But he also, he did, you know, he was a bit fussy about his food. There's a story, and this is right at the end of his days. So he did die very young of tuberculosis. And one of the ways that he tried to cure it was to get out of the UK and go to Rome and sort of try and soak up the sun. And so he was staying there with his friend Joseph Severin and they stayed at this house and there was a landlady there who used to make them food every single day and he hated it hated this food she used to make them spaghetti and he just absolutely hated it it's in Rome when they were yeah 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 and so one day she comes in hands them the spaghetti he takes the plate keeps eye contact with her walks over to the window opens it up and while maintaining the eye contact just spills the plate out and all its contents onto the ground uh, to make his point rather than just saying can we get something else oh child yeah and um, yeah and actually lots of the stories about him they make him a bit more kind of you know physical and like he wasn't such a milk toast after all oh, he loved fighting out. didn't he well he I was saying he trained as a uh, surgeon was the thing I didn't know about him he trained as a doctor yeah. and you know he would set broken bones and he, he was a dresser at Guy's Hospital and he would assist with surgery one of his jobs was to remove amputated limbs from the field of surgery so it's quite um, a stressful and impressive job to have you know yeah I read one article asking if he might have been a grave robber Wow! Because at the time, the surgery practice, they would do it on dead bodies. And you're allowed, like, maybe two dead bodies a year who are, like, (laughs) executed criminals or something like that. Uh, But you needed more. And so they had these resurrectionists who would go around getting bodies out of graves and sell them to the surgeons. But there was a couple of people called the Borough Gang. And the Borough Gang were famous for being body snatchers. But apparently around that time that Keats was working there, they decided they would go on strike. (laughs) They wanted more money for their bodies. And so they would stop giving the bodies. And so the surgeons had to go out themselves and steal bodies from graves. And the suggestion might be that maybe Keats, because I mean, he was there at the time that this was happening, was a great suggestion. I hope it. I mean, it, I love it. Yeah. How do you go on strike as a body snatcher as well? Do you, where do you stand? Do you stand outside the hospital or the graveyard? <laughs> yeah. And what do you? What do your signs say? Yeah. And... Uh, but there's like one of his um, famous poems, which is called Isabella. It's about a woman who keeps the head of her love of her father, lover. One of the two. I think lover. Lover in a pot of basil. Mm. And he explains what it looks like, this, you know, decapitated head. And we think because he worked as a surgeon, he knew, you know, he knew what dead bodies were like. Mm. So his poems were real. Yeah, he lived a a proper life. Oh, here's one thing we don't know about Keats. We don't know if he ever rode a bike. Oh, okay. Because he would have had the chance to. Yeah, brilliant. This was the, <laughs> the, the Velocipede was the very early... Oh, it got called the Dandy Horse as well. It's a bike with no pedals, basically. Okay. So you, you, wheel along the, you straddle it and you wheel it along the ground with like your feet. Kids, like, like a kid's Like, bike like bike a very early starter bike for kids, except this was the most fashionable thing. Yeah. And we know that he wrote to his brother, George, who'd left for America in 1818. He wrote to his brother saying, the new thing today is a machine called the Velocipede. It is a wheel carriage to ride cock horse on, sitting astride and pushing it along with the toes. And it's very exciting. So we know that he knew what they were, but we don't know if he ever had a go, because he doesn't say in the letter. Did he ever use roller skates? I don't think he did. Because his name is Nanogram of Skate, so it's just... (laughs) Oh, wow. <laughs> See, Sophie, this um, is what it's like. Yeah. I feel, <laughs> I feel like Keats always seemed like I did study English, but I don't remember having a great love for Keats just because I think he was a bit more like, a bit like softer and gentler, which does tally with Ben Whishaw playing him in the right. 2009 film Bright wow. Star. Uh, and Ben Whishaw said that it was the highlight of his career so far. Playing Keats? Yeah. Really? But that was pre Paddington. Who was your who were your um, literary heroes when you did English? Literary heroes. I mean, I think what my English degree did sort of sort of um, kill any enjoyment or passion I had for the subject. But out of the romantics, I like Blake. Yeah. Uh, I liked how he had, he did all his little etchings as well. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, who else did I like? Were you a Byron fan? Because yeah. that, that's a bit that's a bit of a dividing Chets and Charks thing. Byron and Keats, you know, Beatles Stones. Oh, oh yeah, is it really? Only... Well, a little bit, a little bit. As in Byron is is much more fun. There are many more jokes in Byron. It's just fun. But it's also they fun. had a rivalry during Well, their Byron time. was a bit rude about Keats. I don't know if Keats was ever rude back about Byron. Mm. Probably couldn't think of anything. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but no, he, actually, he did write a lot of great stuff, Keats. Obviously, he, he, is, he is one of the greats. Interestingly, mm. Byron, when he died, uh, so he died out in... Um, Greece. 
in Greece. He was in, was it a lake or the ocean? I can't remember. It was the ocean, I think, right? Mm. He drowned. Was it no, not? Shelley drowned. Yeah. Byron died Sorry. of fever. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Byron, okay. he did swim across the Bosphorus, Byron, didn't did. he? But he didn't drown, I don't think. No, he died of Sorry, awful I've confused fever. it. Yeah. Um, when part of identifying who Shelley was when they found him was not only his clothes, but he had a book of Keats's poetry in his oh, pocket. Really? Oh, but yeah, Shelley carried around yeah. the book of Keats. So, yeah. so Percy Shelley was a vegetarian. Um, we talked about earlier how Keats ended up having to be a vegetarian, but Percy Shelley was a vegetarian because, well, it's quite forward thinking, I guess, at the time. So he thought that animals used too much land. And around that time, there was kind of a lot of Malthusian, kind of the population's going to go through the roof, everyone's going to starve. Uh, and so he decided to become a vegetarian for that reason. Uh, but the only thing he would be tempted by was to eat bacon. Mm. And he just couldn't not eat bacon. Wow. And there was a guy, a friend of his called Thomas Jefferson Hogg. And Thomas Jefferson <laughs> Hogg used to just, whenever he saw him, he used to just give him bits of bacon and say, oh, just have a bit of bacon, Shelley. That's so funny. Because wow. that is a really good reason for being vegetarian. But it yeah. is also, bacon is also the thing that a lot of vegetarians... Yeah. While we're on food, just back to Keats for a second. Uh, he also loved jam. And oh, yeah. okay. uh, he at least ate it. <laughs> so we don't know if he rode a bicycle, but we do know that he ate jam because... <laughs> we're piecing you know it together. <laughs> <it. laughs> because? Because he, he apologised for spilling some jam on a letter that he'd written. And so he wrote... And he also invented new words as a result of this, or a new word as a result of this. So he wrote, after spilling the jam, I have licked it, but it remains very purplu. I don't know whether to say purple or blue, so wrote purplu, oh. which may be an excellent name for a colour made up of those two. Purplu. That's, yeah, that's I mean, how you get to be one of the greats. That's the flavour of early Keats. It's <laughs> 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 purplu, period. Wow. I, I was going to ask if it was mulberry jam, because oh. in the Keats' house in Hampstead, where he lived and fell in love with his neighbour, uh, there is a mulberry tree, an ancient mulberry tree, which they think that like people hypothesise he stood under and wrote to a nightingale. But um, whether or not it was there when he was there, it has been adopted into the Queen. May she rest in peace. Had a collection of ancient trees, less than a hundred ancient trees, and it's formed part of the Queen's canopy. Wow! What a collection tree. just around the country of yeah, of, of just real cool. old trees. I think Hence, that's like, nice. Trees. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I've got a I've got a riddle for you. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. The most famous painting of Keats. Yeah. Right. Is of him at uh, Wentworth Place. It shows him sitting and coming up with his most famous poem. Yeah, perhaps. I feel like I could knock one of them out. No. Yeah. Problem. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, join the queue with a third of American <laughs> men who. Um, so he's dead in the painting. Oh. What? Ooh. Okay. So. <laughs> Riddle me that So someone's That's painted riddle. him yep. right? And when they painted him yep. His body was the thing they were painting So right? it was painted in 1834 He died in 1821 Oh that's quite a long yeah. time afterwards A long time So yeah. So the riddle is Oh is it something like um, Is it Is it? <laughs> there isn't a riddle apart. <laughs> that, that's the problem Well with this. none of you has come up with he's, an answer So I feel <laughs> like it is still a riddle no, no, exactly. <laughs> Did he like donate his skull to the theatre And so it's his skull that's depicted in the No nice is not he, bad Is he painted as an angel uh, That's another good answer but no 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 Seems like no one solved my riddle <laughs> What's the riddle? Uh, how? How is he dead? How is he depicted so brilliantly 13 years after oh, he, he was died. a twin. <laughs> so they just used the twin to model. His was mother alive. was the artist. That's right. <laughs> and she said, I cannot paint this. It's my son. It's my son. <laughs> okay. okay. No. I don't no. understand. Um, he was. Sh sh shall I solve the riddle for you all? <laughs> He's dead in the painting. Because yeah. Halloween party. That's a, that's a Halloween party painting. For, yeah, that's yeah. why. And there's a plastic bat in the corner. No, no, no. Okay, it's that after his death, a death mask was made of him. Yeah, and it was used as the model. And after right. Keats died in Rome, they made a death mask of his face. And they also did his hand and his foot. And there were only two of these death masks for a long time. And one of them was kept by Joseph Seven, uh, and one was sent to his publisher, which I feel is a weird. <laughs> yeah. I feel that is as in if I like if I died. Yeah, and, and we have two masks, <laughs> yeah. and they can go to any two people. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I'd want one to go to, to my you. editor. Yeah. <laughs> but no, that's what that's what was painted of him uh, thirty yeah. years later. Was that's yeah, and the frame of this painting. This is so. This is quite romantic. Capital art has a lock of his hair in the frame of the painting. Mm. So it's there's a little bit of Keats in that original picture. 
That's amazing. Good. good riddle. Thank you. <laughs> Speaking of siblings of Keats, yeah. his little sister was called Fanny, oh. which is the same name as the woman that he was in love with. Yeah. What okay. a creepy little boy. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a thing, is it? That you can't marry someone you with the same name as your... You can't marry someone with the same name as your sibling. Well, they didn't get married. He just loved her unrequited, unrequitedly, I think. I they, think they were engaged, but they did. They never married. They never. Married. And then he died very young. And I don't think but it can be unrequited him. if they got engaged. That's not unrequited, is it? <laughs> right, you're absolutely right. That's, that's almost my, a definition of requited. That's what my now wife said to me. She said, "I will say yes, but just so you know, it's not requited." <laughs> well, Fanny never took his ring off. So Keats gave her a ring, mm. and oh. for the rest of her life, even though she remarried, she always wore the ring that Keats wow. gave her. Which I think is a bit of a kick of the guts to her second husband I think that's because he's such a romantic no actually it's worse that he's one of the great romantic poets by the way one of the best yeah. most romantic poets ever loved me and gave it's me this it's a lot ring. of pressure when you write the valentine's card isn't it, it is. <laughs> <laughs> roses are red violets are purple <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that's it. That is all of our facts. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to get in contact with any of us about the things that we have said over the course of this podcast, we can be found on our Twitter accounts. I'm on at Schreiberland, James. At James Harkin. Andy. At Andrew Hunter M. And Sophie. At Sophie Dukebox. Yep. Or you can go to our group account, which is at No Such Thing. Or you can also find us on Instagram now, at No Such Thing as a Fish. Um, you can also go to our website, where you can find all of the previous episodes that we've done, as well as links to our upcoming live dates and Sophie anything you want to mention before we go anything upcoming I have a website because I am a child of modernity and it's <laughs> www.sophieduca.com all my dates and stuff are on there yep all live dates and so on so do go check that out and uh, otherwise we're going to be back again next week with another episode we'll see you then goodbye goodbye <laughs>